where does this love begin? In our own family, in our own home. How does it begin? By praying together. Family that prays together stays together. And if you stay together, you will love one another as God loves each one of you. I want to let you know about what happened to me about, gosh, it's probably only three weeks ago. So about three weeks ago, well, let's go back farther than that, shall we? Let's go back to three days before Christmas, because three days before Christmas, we moved into a new house. Yes, right? It was, we're actually very excited about it. And it's a brand new house. And since we have moved to Florida, which is coming on about seven years this summer, when we moved to Florida, we sold our refrigerator in California because in Florida, when you rent, they provide a refrigerator, which is awesome because they didn't do that back in California. And so we decided that we really wanted to rent when we first moved because we didn't know where we wanted to live in, in Cape Coral. We didn't know anything about Cape Coral. Apparently, there's a southwest and an east-west and, and a northwest and a northeast. And there was like, I don't know where we're going to live. So what we need to do is rent. So we've rented for the past few years and got open the door so that we could buy a house this December three days before Christmas. So as we're packing up a house, which was really crazy in the middle of, of Christmas Village, we were packing up our house and we ordered because we had to get a new refrigerator. Now, this is not the refrigerator, just so you know. This refrigerator, though, at the end of this weekend, we are giving away to a single mom who needs it. So that's what this refrigerator is. And it's just here to help me tell my story. We bought a new refrigerator and we had it ordered so that it would get to our new house two days after we moved in. It was great. Two days after we moved in, we were super excited because they delivered it on time. What? <laughs> then we were not so excited when they delivered it with a big old dent in it. What? No. And so we called them and said, love the new refrigerator. You need to replace it with one that doesn't have a big dent in it. And they said, absolutely, we'll do that. Although it'll be two to three weeks before you deliver it. So I'm like, okay. And they're like, but you can keep this one until. I'm like, that's great. So they delivered it in the garage. And to be honest, I was so excited to have a refrigerator. I didn't even think twice about, well, yeah, we're just going to leave it in the garage until we get the new one. Because I didn't realize at the time, how annoying it was to go out to the garage to get things from the refrigerator. <laughs> like I was crazy because I would go out and, and get stuff ready for dinner and you go out and then you're, I'm like halfway in, I'm like, nope, I forgot that. And you're like, it, it, was so, it should be, there was a hole, it, not a hole, a space. A space in our new house where the refrigerator should be and then you're like, I'm going to, there's nothing there. All right, I'm gonna go get the milk because I forgot to do that. I pretty much got a, I decided that I was gonna get a tray every time I went out to the garage, to the refrigerator, and I just would take the tray with me even if I was going out to get a snack. Because then I could just, just in case, oh yes, I need this and I need this. So I got used to this whole thing. And we were, so two to three weeks later, we survived having the, refrigerator in the garage. Uh, they delivered our new refrigerator, but my husband and I were out of town. 
And so the boys were there. I have two boys. They're 20 and 22. So they um, let the delivery guys in. They brought in. They rustled refrigerator through the front door, put it where it was supposed to be, hooked it up. And then my boys sent pictures of it. And we were so excited. We were like new parents. Look, we have a refrigerator in the house. We're so excited. And uh, about a week later, um, we got back and got to see it for real. It was so funny, though, because... I didn't realize muscle memory is crazy because now every time I needed something from the refrigerator, I started walking out to the garage. And it took me about a week to go, nope, the refrigerator is in the house now. You'll, you gotta get used to the new way of doing things like normal. So, but about a week after that, as I was getting used to, the refrigerator being in the house, I was cleaning. I was cleaning the kitchen and everything was neat, but I didn't realize how dirty it was until I started cleaning. Has anybody ever experienced that? Where you're like, start to clean, I'm like wiping the counters down. And I'm like, oh my God, these are really dirty. There are crumbs everywhere. I don't understand. And so then I'm getting into the corners and I'm just making my way around the kitchen. And then I get to the refrigerator and I was like, there are fingerprints all over this refrigerator. I had no idea. I was just so excited. I was just using it. I was like, look, this is so beautiful. Now I'm cleaning it. And I'm like, there are fingerprints all over this thing. And then as I was cleaning it, I realized that, you know, most of these fingerprints aren't mine <laughs> because we haven't been here. In fact, I bet that some of the, fing the fingerprints, especially the ones where they were just like, you could see where they had to manhandle the refrigerator, that these were the delivery guys' fingerprints. They're strangers, but they've got fingerprints in my house. And so I was, I was, go ahead, and I was cleaning it off and um, thinking about this sermon. And this sermon, as we wrap up the greatest thing ever said series, I'm going to be talking about prayer. And I'm going to take that moment in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus comes in and he, he pauses and he just starts talking about prayer and who God is. And so I'm gonna go through that, and as I was thinking about, I was wiping the fingerprints off, and I was thinking about this message, and I thought, you know, there's been a lot of people in my life who've had their fingerprints on what I think about God and how I think about prayer. I've got parents, I've got the church, the religion that I was raised in that gave me the idea about God, and my idea about God was really like a judge. He was a judge, and he was with a big old gavel and the full white English judge, apparently, because he had a wig on, and he was like big and scary, and he was just waiting for me to screw up so that he could bang that gavel. <laughs> Condemned. That was what I thought about God, and, and then just thinking about over the years, that some, and some of the fingerprints were probably strangers on my life. On when I, I remember when I first started walking with God when I was 19, and I remember going to the, to the church that I went to, which was a lot like this one, actually, and then they would be like, okay, we're gonna pray, and they would like close their eyes, and I would like peek because people were praying. I'm like, how do you pray? How do you pray? I don't know how to pray. I know how my church taught me to pray, but I didn't really wanna do that, so. What does it look like to have a relationship with God? You know, we all, all of us come here, all of us have experienced that you've got a whole lot of fingerprints on what you think about God and how you think about prayer. 
And it's really important, those two things are really important because what you think about God and how you think about prayer impacts how you engage with it, how you do it, how you engage with God. And so what I want us to do as we wrap up this and we dive into the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest speech ever given by the greatest man who ever lived, who was the son of God who knew what he was talking about. I want us to look at maybe taking a moment and asking God to wipe off all the other fingerprints that are on what we think about prayer and God and just see what Jesus says. What does Jesus say about prayer? What does Jesus say about who God is? And just kind of go, let's look at that because the greatest thing ever said we find in Matthew 6, 5 through 14, the greatest thing ever said. And the greatest thing that Jesus ever said about prayer is, and when you pray. He starts it off. He starts it off kind of like in the middle of a sentence. He says, and when you pray. And what I want you to notice is that he doesn't say if you pray. He doesn't say if you pray, he says when. The reason is, is because you are a human being. That's who I'm talking to, no matter where you are in the world, you're a human being and you were created to connect with God in prayer. You were made for it. You can be an atheist in this place, you cannot believe in God, you could have rejected God. You could say, I prayed once when I was five years old and I did not wanna take a nap, but I still had to, God's not real. And said, so I'm never gonna pray again. But the thing is, is that you're created to pray, you're created to believe there's gotta be more than just humans running this show. There's gotta be a bigger power. Like you're made to know God and you're made to know this. So it's when you pray, not if you pray. And when you pray, this is what Jesus said. He starts off saying it like this. In verse five, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward. And he says, so here's the thing. When you pray, you don't have to be like the hypocrites. Well, what does that word mean? We use it a lot these days, but it's a Greek word behind it. Actually means actors. You don't have to act. When you pray, don't put on a character. Don't be something that you're not. Don't tell, you don't need to tell a story with your life in front of other people so other people think you're holy. So other people, wow, he's really a good person, look at him. I absolutely, when I first got saved, judged people by how they prayed. <laughs> because I didn't know how else to judge them. But here's the deal, is that if you are someone who is, you want to have other people think you wanna be seen by others as someone who's righteous and holy and good, and so when you pray, it's gonna be beautiful, and it's gonna be the right words at the right time, at the right tempo, and if that is what you want, then that's what you'll get. Like, you'll receive your reward because you've been seen by others, and they may think you're a good person, but you can't fool God. You don't have to, when you pray, you don't have to pretend. And when you pray, you don't have to pretend. You just gotta show up as you are and be as honest as you can because God sees you and he loves you. And he says, you don't have to be like them. Be like you. I created to connect with you. So when you pray, you don't have to pretend. He goes on to say this. 
They says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. But when you pray, he says, go into your own room. And basically he said, listen, you don't have to act and you don't have to pretend. So the best thing that you can do when you pray is to go somewhere that no one can see you. Go somewhere that you're not tempted to try to be somebody that you're not or to play a role that you think you should have to play. And it's really, I mean, it's hard not to do that. It's hard not to to put what everybody sees me as and I'm gonna pray like that. But when you go into your room and you shut the door so that nobody sees you but God and then you go into a secret place and it says, pray to your father who is unseen, then your father who sees what is done in secret. And that secret is, the secret place isn't just a physical room. It's that secret part of your heart where you know everything about yourself. It's the secret part that you wanna keep secret because you don't want anybody else to know because you're gonna think they're not gonna love me if they know this. God's not gonna love me if he knows this, so I'm gonna pretend this doesn't exist. And it says you don't need to do that because your father is unseen, but he sees everything. And here's the good news. Your father sees everything, knows everything about you, knows every secret, knows everything that happened to you, and loves you, absolutely, and chooses you, and wants to spend time with you. And Jesus said, and when you pray, not only do you have to not pretend, but he said, know that you are praying to your father. You're not praying to a judge. You're not praying to this weird energy out there that has no personality. You actually got as the heart of a father. This is a personal relationship. Family relationship is the closest relationship you can have. And this was scandalous. In Jesus' day when he said, and pray to your father, and know that you're talking to your father, they were like, <gasps> blasphemy. God is not that personal. He is the almighty God, and he is. He created the heavens and the earth, and he did. And Jesus said, and the, the God that created the heavens and the earth is a father to you. Because he said, you're, you're a father. And when you pray, know that you're talking to your father. And this was a really uncomfortable space for me because I wasn't sure how I felt about that, especially since I saw him as a judge. And it took me a while, even the judge came down off the bench and I was like, eh, I don't know about you. <laughs> I don't know if I can trust you. I can trust Jesus, but I don't know about you. And it's taken years for God to heal a lot of my father wounds so that I could truly enter into a relationship, a safe relationship, because here's the deal. You could have the best dad in the world, but he's human. You have the worst dad in the world because he's human. And you can't look at God as a father and compare him to what you know of what a father is. You gotta trust Jesus. And God will reveal himself to you on what a father and the type of relationship that he wants to have with you. And when you pray, you're talking to your father. And he hasn't even gotten to the prayer yet. He also says this in the next verse. He says this, when you pray, you don't have to keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. And he was saying, you don't have to be like those who don't 
know God because they're, bab- they're rituals. They're saying nonsense words. They're empty phrases because they believe that if they do this, then their God will give them this. But he says, you don't have to do that. You don't have to repeat yourself. You don't have to pray for a long time. You can pray for a short time or you can pray for a long time because it's not what you're saying. It's about the relationship that you're having. So you don't have to worry about that. And then he goes on to say this in the next verse. He says, don't be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. There it is again, your father. He keeps saying that. It's like he's trying to get a point across. He's your father. He's your father and he knows what you need before you ask him. And this was one of those verses that when I get to them, I, get a, I got a little irritated with it. And I'm like, this is bothering me. Because if God knows what I need before I ask him, can he just give it to me? Why do I have to pray at all? I mean, what's the point of praying? Because I really thought the point of praying was letting God know, this is what I need. This is what you should do. This is how you should be God. And you need to take care of this and this and this. But if you already know what I need, why in the world am I talking to you? And I felt God say, because it's really important that you know what you need. And this is a relationship. This is not, I do for you so you can get me what I need. This is not a power play. This isn't a pretend to do something so God will do what you need. I mean, that's manipulation. And what, what relationship ever actually lasts when it's built on manipulation? None. And Jesus says, you don't have to do that because your father knows what you need before you ask him. But he wants you to discover what you need. And he wants you to ask him. And you know, when I put it into the contents of a context of a parent, I have my two boys. And growing up, I pretty much knew what they needed before they did. And I, but as they grew up, they needed to know what they needed. Because now they're 20 and 22 and they're taking care of themselves. <laughs> they're not waiting for me to tell them what they need. They need to know what, that's a maturing. You need to know who you are, what you need, what to do, and you can trust your father in this relationship. So then, after all that, Jesus said, not only do you have to not pretend when you pray, and you need to know it's your father, when you pray, this is how. Now, the reason I want to stop here is that we're about to go into the Lord's Prayer, how most of us learned it, is the Lord's Prayer, and before he even started, he didn't say, this is what you pray. He said, this is how you pray. That the words, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forget those who are indebted to us. That prayer is something that I um, memorized at some point in my life, obviously. <laughs> But it isn't what to pray, it's how to pray. There are movements, there are moments. This is how you pray to God. And this last year, I spent a whole lot of time just in this prayer. I just wrapped myself in this prayer and I went through it as a movement and a relationship to clear out what all the fingerprints that everything else had on my ideas of God and prayer and said, who are you and what is this? And so we start. We start with the Lord's Prayer, and he says this. This then is how you should pray, and then he continues in, in verse 10, he says, or continues 9. 
This then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And there is our Father again. And this whole prayer is in the context of our. It is in the context not just me, it's not just my Father, it's our Father in heaven. There is community and family in that. And then hallowed be thy name, that word is hallowed, it's holy, it means sanctified, it means pure, and in a great way, it means scrubbed that your name is scrubbed. So when I sat in this movement of how to pray, I started with, I'm not praying to a judge, I'm not praying to a, a defineless God, I'm praying to my Father, and I'm gonna ask my Father, will you scrub your name for me? Will you show me who you are? Will you take off all the other fingerprints of what I brought to this relationship and how I felt and thought about who you were? Can we do some work here? Will you show me who you are? In fact, the message version says, Reveal yourself to us, Father. It's a hallowed be your name. Help me know who you are. And then he goes on to say this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And your kingdom, that kingdom is, is the way God lives. I mean, it's more than just him being a king and his rule and his laws on our life. It's more like this is the culture which human mankind, humankind was made to thrive in. God's rule, the way that he lives, the way that he loves, the way that he gives, he's so generous. He is faithful. He is omnipotent and he is personal. And here is, this is God's kingdom come. And Jesus said, every time he started to preach, when he went to a place, he'd say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Well, that word repent is a word that means change your mind about how you think because God's kingdom is right as close as your hand. Because we think when it says, um, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, and on earth means what we can see. It's what we can see, the reality that we can see with our eyes, and in heaven, is the reality we can't see. We think that heaven is far away. I think about it, um, especially when I was little, so I thought about on earth as it is in heaven. I imagined you know, NASA shooting up there, and somewhere in the darkness, once they get up there, heaven is up there somewhere. So I'm praying to God who's way far away, and he is way up there, but that's not what this means. It means that here the earth is the seen atmosphere I am, and I'm asking for the unseen reality of heaven, which is right here, to come forth in the scene of where I live and what I do and how I have relationships and how I work. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the next, the next movement is this, give us today our daily bread. Give me today what I need for today. And he does, and he is faithful. He is sufficient for the day. Did you know that you were created to live one day at a time? You weren't created to live in yesterday, it's gone. The past is gone. And you weren't created to live tomorrow because it hasn't come yet. Now we can plan, I am a planner like nobody's business. I like being planned out 18 months ahead of time. It makes me feel good. And I've had to tell the planner in me, girl, you need to chill out. Because I make a plan and then I get all upset at God because my plans aren't happening. So I make a plan, but then I trust God with it. Why? Because he's a good father, and he knows what I need before I know what I, what I need, and I know he knows what today's gonna bring, and he's gonna give me what I need today. 
I read somewhere that God's not gonna give you what you need for tomorrow today. He's gonna give you what you need today. Why? Because God will be there tomorrow and he'll give you what you need tomorrow when it's today. This right here, this movement, has set me free in so many beautiful ways because I just have to do today with God. I don't have to worry about yesterday, I don't have to worry about tomorrow, I just gotta do today. He's gonna give me what I need to do today. The next movement is this, in verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And so after I've said, oh God, you're gonna give me what I need today, there's this moment where I go, oh God, forgive me. Will you forgive me the debt that I have collected just from yesterday? Because this is a daily prayer. Just so I didn't have to wait once a year and go, oh, I screwed up big this year. I don't have to wait once every 10 years. Oh, Lord. It is, oh, since yesterday, man, will you forgive me? I mean, we can't even remember last week, or at least I can't. But I can remember yesterday. And I can remember the places in my life where I go, yeah, I missed it there. And man, I'm sorry about that. But sometimes I'm tired and I can just say, God, will you forgive me? Forgive is just another word for release you release me? And he says, yes. And as we have forgiven our debtors. So God, I'm gonna ask for forgiveness for the stupid things I did yesterday, and I'm gonna forgive those who did stupid things to me yesterday. There is freedom in that. It is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful freeing moment. And it's ours. I love that because it's forgive us our debts because we are all broken people doing the very best we can. So I don't, so when I'm mad at my husband because he did something dumb or he irritated me in a way that he had no idea about, I can say, forgive us because I probably did something stupid to him too. <laughs> and we're not alone in this. It's not like the world. It's like all of us, our God, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. The next movement is this in verse 13. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And lead us not into temptation. I, the wording of this always gets me, and I kind of started changing it as I sat in this movement, because um, I, I, am, I, think, I started praying. What did I start praying? I started praying, lead me away from temptation, because I lead myself there all the time. <laughs> like, that's what I do. I lead myself right into temptation. I'm, lead me, the Lord, lead me away from saying something I'm not supposed to say. Lead me away, Lord, from doing something that I'm not supposed to do. Lead me away, Lord, from chocolate. Just lead me away. Just put something in the way so that I don't, because I do not need chocolate. We just need to move around that. So lead me away from it, which pretty much is the same as lead us not in temptation. And again, it's that community. Lord, not just, but lead my family. Lead my marriage. Lead me away from, let us, I want to hit the target. I want to live the way you helped us create it. So let, lead us away from the temptation to live in a way that you didn't create us to live. Because we don't thrive when we live outside of that. And deliver us from the evil one because there is an evil one. There is evil. Jesus acknowledged it and he said that delivers, the, uh, another word is rescue. Rescue me. Rescue me from the evil one. And Jesus, who spoke these words, actually did. He rescued us from the evil one, and the evil one has no say in our life anymore. This last part. And most of us know that Lord's Prayer um, up to that point. If you learned it, if you learned it in 
school or from your religion or from your church. But this last part is really important. And I want to take you through it. And he says, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, then your heavenly Father will also forgive you, which sounds right, right? You're like, yes, yes, that makes sense. Sure, this is good news. I'm going to forgive other people. God's going to forgive me. This is great. And then it's the next sentence that Jesus is saying, and he says this, but if you do not forgive others in their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. What? It's just weird to think about God not forgiving me because I don't want to or can't or feel stuck in bitterness and resentment. But God knows something about bitterness and resentment. It is such a bog and ugly swamp that you don't need to live in, that he wants to help you get out of because you're not made to live in unforgiveness and hurt and anger that this is not the culture that you were created to live in emotionally, spiritually, physically. And so he says this, that if you don't forgive others in your sins, your father won't forget you, forgive you. He won't forget you either, but he won't forgive you of your sins. And when I look at that in the context, not just in the context of a loving father, but I look at it in the context of a loving parent. If my two boys, are mad at each other and they have a fight. And one of them was really rude to each other and the other one was really rude back. But the one says, you know what, the next day, man, I'm sorry, I was rude to you. And the other one says, well, you shouldn't have said that, I'm not gonna forgive you. As a parent, I wanna go, that's not okay. It's not okay for you. It's not okay for our family. And what is going on there? Why won't you forgive him? What? It is an invitation for God to come closer to you, not to push you away. So many people see this as a rejection from God. Like they're afraid that if God can't, do real bad things happen? Yes, that's why we pray to be rescued from the evil one. Are there things that you feel like you cannot forgive? Absolutely. Do you need help? Yes. Because forgiveness is actually supernatural and you need God's power to do it. And he says, I'll help you do it. This is God coming closer and going, we need to work on this because I'm not gonna forgive you until you're free of it. I'm gonna release it. You are released and you'll know you're released because you don't have to carry it anymore. Where are you at? What fingerprints do you have on your faith, on your journey with God? How do you see God? Is there somebody else's fingerprints that have are marring how you see him? Is it time to clean that up or what about prayer? Do you feel prayer is something that's not for you because you don't sound like so-and-so or you don't seem to connect with God? Can I tell you, you're made for it in your own unique way. You don't have to pray like anyone else. You just gotta figure out how God created you to connect with him and connect with him and these movements Jesus said, this is how you should pray. They are wonderful to work through every day. And truthfully, it can take like eight seconds. That's a short prayer. Because <laughs> it's not how long you pray, it's just that you pray. It's that you connect. We just finished 21 days of prayer. And it was good. How many of you enjoyed 21 days of prayer? Got in there, was like, yes, this is good. The truth is, is you were made to connect with God for 365 days of prayer. And Jesus said, listen, it's not if you pray, it's when. And when you pray, you don't have to pretend. 
Know that you're praying to your Father. And more than that, this is how. Pray. Enter into a relationship with God where he can transform your life. Now today, if you're here for the first time and you've never heard anything like this, and you didn't know that God was a father that loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you, that Jesus went to the cross bearing your sins, took what separates you from God. He said, I'm gonna take them on myself, I'm gonna die, and the sins are gonna die with me. The power of sin is broken in the grave. He was buried and then he rose again to everlasting life so that he could offer you everlasting life. Starting today, heaven is not a place that we go after we die. It's something we start to experience the minute you put your trust in Jesus. I wanna give you an opportunity to just ask God into your life and to put your faith in Jesus if you've never done that. And then I wanna pray for you so that you can start to experience prayer in a new way, the way you were created to connect with him and maybe these movements can help you through it. Will you close your eyes and bow your head? If you're here and you want everlasting life, if you feel like you've got too much, too much from your past that's keeping you from God, that God won't love you because if he knew everything, well, he does know everything. But if that's you here today, he knows everything and loves you so much that he sent his son so that he would not be separated from you. And all you can do is really receive the gift that Jesus offers. He says, take me, walk with me, learn from me, I'll show you how. One day at a time. If that's you, in your heart, I want you to, wherever you are, whether you're in this room or you're anywhere else around the world, repeat this prayer. It's as simple as, dear Father, help me, forgive me. I give my whole life to you and I want to know how to live in this relationship with you. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, took my sin, died, and rose again. I put my faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I pray for everyone within the sound of my voice that you will open up prayer for them and that they would begin to experience you every single day in a new way and that the relationship with you would thrive. In your name, amen.